Well, good morning again, brothers and sisters and my dear friends, and welcome again to the Word of God as we're going to open up His Word. This is the day that the Lord has made, and you hear me say this every Sunday, every time we get together, and that is what I truly believe. We find now that we're getting into summer, the days are warmer, uh, the blossoms are out, we're starting to see leaves coming back onto the trees. Just outside my office here, there's a tree and I look every day and I see the leaves starting to come out. And that always reminds me of the new life that Christ gave us. First of all, He gave us life when we were born in Psalm 139. It's so beautifully written there that He knew us while we were in our mother's womb and how wonderfully and fearfully we were made. He knew our substance. But not only that, then He gave us new life when we became born again. And when I look at the leaves and every day the leaves becoming bigger and bigger, it just reminds me that as a child of God, when we were born again, we need to grow spiritually. We need to read the Word of God. We need to pray and we need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. The Bible says that we are His workmanship. And that means that we need to allow God through the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures to work in our lives, like that leaf just going bigger and bigger. Within the tree there is sap. It comes through the, the tree trunk. <clears throat> it takes all the moisture and it pushes it out into the leaves. And you can look at a leaf and you will see how green it is and how he then sits in the sun and it uh, through photosynthesis it gets in all the energy and the vitamin Ds and everything to grow. For us, <clears throat> the life comes through the Word and the Holy Spirit, and we need to grow in that. What more so than to follow Jesus Christ through the Gospel of Mark, which we've been doing for a while now. And as we walk with Jesus, we learn from Him. We learn from Him to grow spiritually, to grow our faith, and to strengthen our faith. And this is what we're going to continue to do today. As you remember last week, <clears throat> uh, the disciples came to Jesus and they said to Jesus, we found this man who was casting out demons in your name and we stopped him. And Jesus said to them, no, do not stop him. If he's not against us, he's for us. And we looked into that. But then we ended last week with these uh, words in Mark chapter 9 verse 31, uh, 41, where Jesus said to the disciples, he says, for whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. This is where we stopped last week. And you remember, I then read on to you to the end of the chapter where he speaks about hell. Now, today I want to talk to you about temptations and the consequences of sin. Temptations and the consequences of sin. Because this is what Jesus addressed to his disciples at the end of chapter 9 in Mark. He says first of all to them, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in his name, because you belong to Christ. Now, he talks about Christians. He talks about people who has got good will towards his children. And this is for us as well. If we give a cup of water in Jesus' name to His children, that means 
in the service we give each and every child of God in Jesus' name. He says, you will by no way lose your reward. And let it be known that there is a teaching through the word of Jesus Christ that there is a reward in heaven for each and every one of us for the works we've done after the cross. The works done after the cross. So many people do so many good works before the cross. Let me explain. Before you become born again. And they try to work their way into heaven through their good works. That counts for nothing. Unfortunately for you, all of your good works, if you are not born again, means nothing. But once you get born again, all of the works that you do now, because of the newfound faith in Jesus Christ, the newfound life of Jesus Christ in your life, all the work you do will have a reward in heaven. Now, we do not work so that we may have that reward. We work because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts and into our lives. And because the love of God is in your hearts and lives, this is now why we serve others. Now, Jesus then, <clears throat> after he says this in, in Mark chapter 9, verse 42, he uses the word but. Now, that is a very high theological word. It's not. It just means sharp contrast. It means that Jesus said something positive, but now he turns it on its head. It's in sharp contrast of what he just said. Now, I'm going to read the passage now for you again <clears throat> to the last verse, verse 49. But then I want to come back and unpack it for you, which will, will apply and be applicable to the topic today, which we're going to talk about. And that is, again, uh, temptation and consequences of sin. So if you've got a Bible, just follow me in Mark chapter 9, verse 42. He says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands and then go to hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life lame than rather having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall not be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Verse 47, And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you into the kingdom of God with one eye, rather than having two eyes, to be cast into hell fire, where the worm does not die and the fire does not quench. For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace with one another. How wonderful the public reading of the Lord's word in our midst. Amen. <clears throat> now, 
Jesus talked there in verse 42. He says, but because if one of these little ones who believe in me stumble. You remember, he's got a little child in his hands now, which he picked up and he started teaching them about service. And when he had the little one in his hand, many people believe that he was talking about little children. And it is true. We should not uh, treat little children bad. Um, but we should look well after them. But what Jesus was talking here was a spiritual sense. Little ones here were referring to the little ones in the faith who's starting out just being born again and they now on this path of growth, of becoming mature. And Jesus is actually speaking here now directly to those who come with false doctrines and try to deceive these little ones in the faith. He physically had a child there, but he talks about those not mature in faith. He says to those people, if any one of them stumble, if you make them stumble, it would be better if a millstone, and remember this is not the small millstone which women used in the kitchen, but this is the big millstone which a donkey would be tightened to and it will walk around. It's a heavy stone. And, and he says that this millstone hang around your neck and be thrown into the sea. Jesus by far is not approving uh, suicide here. This is not a suicide mission he's talking about. He's talking about the consequence. If you let any one of these new believers in Christ stumble. And this should be a message, a serious warning for those preachers out there who is dabbling into their own agendas and moving away from the word of God. This is a serious message, even for you who do not understand the word of God and you have got your own agenda and you push your agenda and not the word of God. So he says it's better for them to fall into the sea with a millstone than to make these little ones stumble. And now he turns his attention away to temptations and consequences of sin. You see, Jesus talks about hell here. And I should have maybe made the topic here hell. But I tell you now, if people see the topic hell, they turn it off. They don't want to listen to it. People don't want to hear about hell. If churches preach about hell, the people go. They walk. They go for seeker-sensitive messages. It is tough for them to hear about hell. But here is a fact for you, that Jesus speaks more about hell than any other one in the Bible. In fact, 11 times in his ministry, he refers to hell and he talks about hell. He spent more time talking about the dangers and warning about hell than he talks about the comforting of heaven. More. Jesus speaks more about hell than he comforts people about heaven. And if you still listen to me now and you still think that there is no hell, and you still think it is a figment of the imagination, who more to trust and believe than created everything around you? Who is Jesus Christ to talk about hell? If he created the heavens and the earth, surely if he talks about hell, then there is a physical and a real hell. Now this preaching today is not 
to prove to you that there is a hell. I take it by now that you do believe that there is a heaven and a hell. And it's not the song of McCartney that you've heard and say, let's pretend or there is no in heaven and hell. There is one. And let it be known, it comes out of the word of Jesus Christ. Now, this is not a debate. He tells it how it is. Now, there's just one thing that I just want to touch here as well. <clears throat> a misconception. And it is such a big misconception that many, if not most, false teachings and false religions has grabbed onto this. And that is the notion that Satan is in charge of hell. He's the boss of hell. And if you fall into hell, Satan is charging his demons to terrify you and to torture you. That is nonsense. The Bible doesn't teach that. Satan is not in charge of hell. He is only cast down onto the earth between heaven and earth. The prince of the power of the air, the Bible talks about him. But he's got no roaming in hell and going torture in hell. There is boundaries that set by God that even Satan can't cross. The hell is a place where Satan himself will be locked up as a prisoner, as a torment for him himself. And he knows it. This is why he has confused the message about hell so that people fear him more or bow to him even more. So it is not true that Satan is the master of hell. It is not true. Just thought that I would bring that point over to you. It is interesting that people still question hell. Now let's get back into our passage here today. Because you see there's three basic, basic causes for sin that Jesus addresses here. Three basic ones. I don't know whether you've picked it up. The first one is the hand. You remember when Jesus said, if the hand causes you to sin, chop it off. Now, obviously, he's not talking physically. He's talking in a spiritual sense here. Let me explain. He talks about the hands because we use our hands to work. We use our hands for our own pleasure. You know, when we go around and things for our pleasure, we do with our hands. We use our hands to feed ourselves. Our hands is very important and it ministers to the body. Now, Psalm 90 verse 17 says it in this way. He says, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Listen, I don't want to speak too quiet fast. I want you to sink in. What's the psalmist say? He says, he established the work of our hands for us. Yes, established the work of our hands. This tells me that the hands were made for work, to worship God. That's what it was made for. Not only that, but we are also told that the hands were made to worship God. Psalm 134 verse 2. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Now, this is in the Old Testament, and we know that a sanctuary is the dwelling place of the Lord. And the psalmist say that we need our hands to lift them up to praise God. So, number one, we take your hands. God gave us hand to work with our hands. He blesses the work that your hands are doing. Secondly, it's to worship God. 
But do you think man uses that to worship God? No. He sinned. He uses his hands to sin against God. This is why God says, if you're not using your hands for what it's been made for, then it's better for you that you do not have a hand here on earth, but that you can go into heaven because the hand did not lead you to sin. The second <clears throat> um, cause for sin that he uses in this passage is your foot. Remember when he said that you have to cut off one foot if the foot causes you to sin and our feet can take us into places where we sin this is what your feet do it takes you to those places you walk in ways you shouldn't walk this is physically and spiritually you walk in ways it's a metaphor it it says that you're walking in a way you shouldn't walk but here jesus is again talking about the food now it is the feet are, are given us to walk after god now listen to psalm 1 verse 1 he says Blessed is the man who walks not in a negative. The psalmist write this in a negative. He says, blessed means happy is the man. Blessed from above is the man who walks not. Now, what do you need to walk with? Your two feet. You need feet to walk. Now he says, you walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. You see, this is what I mean. It is not walking in the counsel of the ungodly nor stand now what do you need to stand your two feet nor stand in the path of the sinners nor sit in the seat of the scornful but his delight is in the law of the lord and his law he meditates day and night so what is the psalmist saying there he says that you use your two feet and you need to use your two feet for the good and for the right reasons and not for the wrong reasons he uses three action words here. The first one is walking. That's an action. And you and I know that it takes effort to walk and you use your two feet to walk. But now he says that we should not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, if you walk, you can quickly walk away from trouble. You can quickly walk away from, from, from danger because you're in emotion. And this is always what happens with the ungodly. The counsel comes to you while you're still walking. Why? Because they want you to follow them. That's the counsel of the ungodly. It is still in motion. This is what you've got to be careful for. But then the second action word the psalmist used there is the action word stand. Now it is still an action. But standing is still in motion because when you stand, you can quickly activate your feet and walk away from danger, walk away from temptation. And this is where he says not stand in the path of the sinners. First of all, it was in the counsel of the ungodly when you walked, but now you stop and you stand in that path of the sinners. And he says now, he says, it's not good for you to do that. And then the third action word that he uses is, no, it says, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. And sitting is also an action word. Now, here is the thing. When you sit, it becomes more effort for you to walk away 
from temptation. It's more effort for you to walk away from danger. You need to use so much more energy to get you up and moving away. So here is the warning from the psalmist. When the counsel of the ungodly comes, stop it right there. How do you stop the counsel of the ungodly? The answer is in the verse there. He says in verse 2, but, which is again that word, that theological word of us, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, put opposite the law of the Lord and the counsel of the ungodly. Which one are you going to trust? I know what I will trust. It's the law of the Lord, which is your Bible. And his law, he meditates day and night. So this is what Jesus means when he says, your foot, if your foot leads you to sin, cut it off. You see, it's all in the Bible. It's all there. All of these action words is associated with your feet. Now, we are told what we need to use our feet for in the Bible. I don't know if you know that. But in Romans chapter 10 verse 15, we find a fantastic passage to tell us what we need to do with our feet. It says in verse 15, And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, and listen now, How beautiful are the feet! Of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So the Bible is very clear to you and me what we need to use our feet for. It is to preach the gospel and to bring glad tidings. This is so opposite. This is direct opposite to what Jesus said when he spoke to the disciples. Be aware that your feet don't lead you to sin. And if they lead you to sin, cut them off. Now, again, I want to reemphasize that he didn't speak physically here. It is a spiritual uh, application here. So he says that you need to look at your spiritual man. And if you are conducting in the way of the ungodly, if you are standing in the path of the sinners, and if you are sitting in the seat of the scornful, then it is better for you to cut those feet off and not to conduct in those ways. Then he says, there's a third one, a third one that he mentions, and that is the eye. Remember, he says it's better to pluck out the eye um, uh, and to go through life with one eye than to miss heaven and go straight to hell. Now, we know that the eye is the window of the heart. In Matthew 6.22, he says the lamp of the body is the eye. Remember, the lamp of the body is the eye. I find it so fascinating. I love to to observe people and to look at people in crowds and look at facial expressions. But more so, I look at the eyes of people because the eye is the lamp, the Bible says, of the body. If the eye is dull, you can know that the person's spiritual life is dull. If the eye is alive, then you can just see and and navigate through the eye the condition of the body. Now, Jesus said it in his words. This is Jesus' words there in Matthew 6. He says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If, if now, therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. What is Jesus saying? He says that if you use the eye to look at good things, positive things, 
living things. And the Bible is full of, I can just think, and, and there's another message already coming up in my mind to preach, but I will spare you the time. But he says, if the eye is good, if it sees good things, if you use it to look at good things, what will happen? Your whole body will be filled with light. Now, what a wonderful place to use your eye and to go and look into the Word of God. If you if you've use your eye to look at the Word of God, it will be full of light. And then he says, he doesn't stop there. In verse 23, he says, but there is our theological word again. That word that means a sharp contrast. And what is Jesus using it for? He says, but if your eye is bad, what then Jesus? Your whole body will be full of darkness. And this is what you find when you look in people's eyes. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You see, when Jesus teaches this and when he comes to the disciples, this is what he had in mind. If your eye is then darkness, it's then better for you to pluck it out and to walk with one eye and then to miss heaven and to go to hell. You see, in Proverbs 28 verse 22, he says, A man with an evil eye hastens after riches. So there is something like an evil eye. And we've just heard it now from Jesus where an evil eye comes from. It's because the eye is used to look at bad things. The eye is used to lust after things which is not yours. And now again, if we go back to the original sin in the Garden of Eden, the eye looked at things and saw that they are uh, pleasing to have. It's the eye that you need to look after. He says, and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. Now, those are the three things that Jesus mentioned to these men in this last passage. You see, it's the consequences. It's the temptation of sin. It is the vehicle that takes you to sin. These things, practical things. I want you to listen to what Job says now. Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible and a very clever man. Now listen what he says in Job chapter 31 verse 4. He says, does he not see my ways and count all my steps? Question mark. And this is a question we need to ask ourselves. Does God not see your and my ways and count our steps? He sees what we are doing with our hands. He sees what we are looking at with our eyes. And then he sees where our feet takes us. He counts our steps. How wonderful and marvelous is the word of God that Job wrote about it. Even before Jesus came upon the face of the earth and started teaching it to us. If it's repeated like that, then my dear friend, brother and sister, we need to listen to it. He says, if I have walked with a falsehood, if I have walked, there comes the feet with falsehood, or if my foot have hastened to deceit, let me be weighed on the honor scales that God may know my integrity. This is poetry to me. He says, if I've walked wrongly, then there's going to be scales of God, and I'm going to be put on the scales and weighed on the scales to see if I'm honest and if I've got integrity. Job 31 verse 7. If my step 
has turned from the way. Or my heart walked after my eye. Here comes the eye. If my step walked away. Listen, we started in Psalm 1. And this is Psalm 1 written all over it. This is uh, Mark chapter 9 written all over it. This is Ma Matthew 6 written all over it. He says, if my heart walked after my eyes and my feet took me there, or if a spot adheres to my hands. Whoa, whoa, stop it there. This is just a summary of what I just said for the last maybe 20 minutes. And Job said it way before in the Old, in the Old Testament. He says, my feet will be, will be measured by God and I will be scaled by God, measured or for my integrity. But now he says, my feet takes me to places where my eye, my heart follows my eye. Let me read it to you again. He says, uh, Job 31 verse 6, let, let me be weight on the honor scales that God may know my integrity. If my step has turned from the way or my heart walked after my eyes, or if any spot adheres to my hands, let, then let me sow and another eat. Yes, let my harvest be rooted out. So what is Job saying? Job say, if you're conducting sin, my friend, you're going to lose. You're going to lose on this earth, and you're going to lose in the life hereafter. Job said it. Way more powerful, Jesus said it. And you and I need to listen to it. Now, this is the temptation to sin. Now, let's look at the consequence. Because now Jesus speaks about hell. And let's see what Jesus say about hell in the next part of this message. Now, Jesus speaks in this New Testament from verse 43 on about hell as though he actually believes that hell is real. And like I said it before, that he created everything. If you want to hear the truth, the Bible says in him is truth and he is the truth. If he says there is a hell, then there is a hell. It's real. It's a fact. Jesus spoke about it not only once, but 11 times. Now let's look at what he says. He says then in verse 43, he will go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. He repeats it three times. Things that he repeats is important. In verse 45, with the foot, uh, he will be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. The worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. He in fact repeats that the fire will not be quenched six times. He says there's a fire three times. Verse 43, let me count them for you. To go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Then he talks about the worm and the fire is not quenched. Then in verse 45, he says the foot in uh, the, the second part of the verse, he says to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Verse 46, the worm does not die and, he, and, and the fire not quenched. That's four times now that he uses the word fire. Verse 47, the eye to be cast into hell fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not when six times he uses the word fire so there's still people who say that there's not a literal fire in hell 
This is only a figment of the imagination. This is only an imagination, an image. No, it's not. Jesus uses in these verses, from verse 43 to 48, the word fire six times. And six times he says that that fire will not be quenched. It's a fire that will keep on burning for eternity. It is clear. Let it be. Let the word speak to you. Don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' word for it. Six times he repeats the word there. Hell is real, my friend. Brother, sister, it is so real. And we need to listen what the Bible says about it. Now, I can preach many a sermons about hell. You know, um, Hades, Cadenes, and all of these. This is not that message. But listen now. In Psalm 9, 9 verse 17, he says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. So who will go to hell? It's clear as daylight. The wicked and those who forget about God. You say, but wait a minute, only if you forget about God? Yes, that's what the Bible says in Psalm 9 verse 17. He says, The wicked shall be turned into hell. We've heard it now for six times. There's a fire in the hell that's burning and it can't be quenched. Such a powerful verse, this verse in Psalm 9 verse 17. You see, because there's a belief that, uh, that you know, religious people or moral people or decent people or your friends or your relatives or your family members or, or any one of those nice people or you know, whatever accolades they get, that they will not go there. No, no. All of those people that I've mentioned there, who is not saved by the blood of the Lamb, all of them are headed for destruction and torment in hell. I can't be more clearer than that. The nicest person on the earth that you can think of, your when you were 10 years old teacher, that lady who was so nice, the Sunday school teacher who's so nice to you, the uncle that you've got, the aunt that you've got, grandpa, grandma, any one of those people, how nice and how religious they are. If they are not washed by the blood of the Lamb and saved by the cross of the Lamb, they're heading to one place. And, and, and look, if you're getting mad at me now, don't get mad at the messenger. It is Jesus' own words that he used. And I want to emphasize on it. And I want you to hear this. It's such a powerful verse. Let me read it to you again. He says, the wicked shall be turned into hell. And all the nations that forget God. I know it is harsh. But the Bible is clear. You see, the Bible says that these people are already condemned. Already. It's not that they are going to be condemned. They're already condemned. Now, let me give you the verse and then explain it to you. John chapter 3.16. You find this verse in a lot of gift, uh, uh, you know, cards, birthday, uh, um, uh, Christmas cards and all of these cards. It's beautiful. And we all know what John 3.16 says. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That whosoever believes in Him is not just to say, I believe in Jesus. Then the whole world would be saved, even the Muslims. 
even, you know, um, the Buddhists, because they also believe in Jesus. No, no, that believes has got something more behind it. Go and read John chapter 3, Nicodemus. Go and read there. That believes comes with you must be born again. Okay. Now we read on because that's the most famous verse people use. And, but they stop. They, they never read on to verse 17 and 18, which to me is more important than verse 16. More. Let me read it to you. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. There is the ground. There is the anchor of these verses. He did not send his son into the world that they just believe. No, no. Or to condemn them. No, no. But listen to these words now because they are so telling. He says that, that through him, through him, how do you get saved through him? Look, it says there in John chapter 6 that a multitude of people follow Jesus. And then he turned around to them. He said, you will drink the blood and eat my flesh. And people ridiculed him for that. How We're not cannibals. That's a hard word for us, they said. And they turned away and they walked. They didn't follow Jesus anymore. You see, but that was a sifting time. Peter turned to Jesus and Jesus said, do you also want to go? And he says, Lord, where shall we go? You've got the words of life. But what was he referring to when he said, you will drink my blood and eat my flesh? He was referring to his death on the cross, where he took our sins to the cross and nailed them there for us. He died and then he was resurrected again. So how do we eat from the flesh and drink his blood? Brother and sister, dear friend, you come to the cross and you lay down this old life and you allow the Spirit of God to save your soul and then you partake in His resurrection. Now this is what He does for us. How wonderful is that? Now, again, let me come back to the verse. He says, For God did not send His Son to condemn the world, but through Him they might be saved. And now comes the clincher. The, the verse that puts the stamp on all of it. Remember verse 16, God sent his son. Verse 17, that through him all might be saved. And now comes the verse that you need to hear. You need to hear this. Verse 18, he who believes in me is not condemned. Now, if you understand now the word believed, you will understand that that word believed is tied to verse 17 where he says, through him might be saved. You have to go through Jesus. No other way. It's only Jesus. He says in John 4, uh, uh, 14 verse 1, he says, um, I am the way, the life. I am the truth, the way, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. And here is the proof of that. And now verse 18 says, He who believes in him is not condemned. Oh, if it stops there, we would have all said Kumbaya and it would be good. But then he gives the stark warning, comma, but. What does it mean? Sharp contrast. He who does not believe is condemned already. Why, Jesus? Why is he condemned already? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is clear and critical for us to understand about hell. Now, let's quickly see and finish off this morning about what Jesus says about hell. First of all, hell is an actual awful place. 
It's a place where you don't want to go to. It's a place where you don't want to be. Because Jesus speaks about fire. He speaks about worms. He's talked, and he talks about hell itself. Fire and worms. Those aren't pleasant things. But in these verses, he speaks about it. And he uses some of the most graphic language to describe this terrible place. So what makes hell so terrible? Let me give you a few and then we'll pray and we can go our way today. Hell is ter terrible because of the damnation and the separation that's in hell. You see, it is lost men and condemned men that goes to hell. Lost men, condemned men, uh, people. We've, we saw that in John chapter 3 verse 18. That's where we see that. That's where they are heading. And sadly, most do not know that they are separated from God. Hell is a separation from God. Yes, God is present everywhere. I get that. But in hell, you are left over to your own devices. Just the way you want to live your life right now. He's going to say that's fine. Once you go to hell, it's even more separated. It's even more damnation. Second Thessalonians 1 verse 9. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. That's a separation you don't want. In Thessalonians it says these, these ones who goes to hell, who finds them in that place where you don't want to be, what's going to happen with them? Uh, uh, everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. So what is terrible about hell? It is the separation from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His power. You will be crying on Him, but there will be no glory of His power helping you in that place. Verse 10, when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because your testimony among you was believed. So there's a group that will glory with his presence and there's a group that will be absolutely tormented through the separation that is in hell. So it's damnation and separation. And now there's another thing which makes hell terrible and absolutely terrible. It's the duration of hell. How long it continues. Now I know I've had a family member in my life come to me and say that hell is only for a short time. And once you spend your time, then you've done your time, then it's going to be over and you'll be joining all of the other saints. Sort of like a purgatory. This is a lie from the pit of hell. This is a lie. No, no, no. The hell, the duration of hell is continuing on. Jesus said it and he repeated it how many times? Six times. He said that that fire shall not be quenched. He didn't say the fire will burn for 50 million years and then it will be quenched. It will not be quenched. So let it be known today that the terrible thing about hell is the duration of hell. There is not an end to that. Whilst your brothers and sisters who rejoice in the Lord and are saved in the blood of the Lamb is rejoicing with the Lord in eternity, you will be sitting in a place with fire which shall not be quenched for eternity. Think about that. It is a terrible place to be. Now, here is a few credentials about hell that Jesus touches in this passage. First of all, the unquenchable fire that's burning in this place. 
And we find that graphic illustration of this in Luke chapter 16. You remember when Lazarus, the poor man, was lying at the rich man's gates and the dogs came and they licked his, his sores. When he died, he was carried by the angels into a place called hell. It is in the English hell, but it is a holding place, it's a prison under the earth. And he was left to the bosom of Abraham. But there was a big cliff that can't be crossed over. And on the other side, there was torment. And the rich young man was taken to the place of torment. That's in Luke chapter 16. And what he said out there, he cried out to Father Abram. He says, Abram, can you send Lazarus here to dip his finger in? For what? Because it is unbearable. He wants him to quench the fire. To quench the pain. And this is the thing. It's unquenchable. Even a request like that made too. One of the patriarchs of the Old Testament was not granted. Because he said to him, you had your good times when you lived on your life. Now Lazarus has got his good times and you will stay there until the day of reckoning. And this is it, my friends. We know that what happened when Jesus ascended on high, what happened? He took captive captivity and the side of Abraham he took with him is now in heaven. So if you die today without Jesus Christ, there's only two directions for you to go. One is you go up to heaven to be with him right after you die, or you will be going down and waiting for the big white throne, for the books to be opened, and then there's a lake of fire. Okay, there's, there's a lake of fire waiting. But let it be known that that rich young man is still waiting in this torment until that judgment day. And then it will continue on unquenchable fire. That is a credential of this place. A second thing, which is a credential of this place Jesus is talking about, is memory and remorse. Remorse. And again, I refer you back to Luke chapter 16. When this rich young man saw it down there, he had remorse. He said, can I go and warn my brothers? Or can you even send Lazarus to go and warn my brothers? And what did Abraham say? He said, they didn't even listen to you. They will not listen to the prophets, nor one who's raised from the dead. No one will they listen to because their hearts are so hardened. You see, that's a remorse. There's a memory and a remorse. He says, son, do you remember? This is Abraham to the rich young man, that you had the good things. And there's a remorse around that. You see, there's another thing that he, Jesus uses. He uses the word worm. He says the worm that's there. That worm is something which eats away on a daily basis. And it keeps you remembering like a memory that gnarls and eats away into eternity. Every inhabitant in hell has one and it will never die. Never die. The, another credential of hell is the intense unsatisfied thirst. And we, we look at that in Luke chapter 16 again. He was so thirsty, this man who's sitting on the one side. And he cries out to Abraham. He says, let him bring me, just dip his finger in so that I can quench my thirst. But there was no, there was nothing there. Brother and sister, I want to come back to the point. I want to come back to the point. Wicked and people who forgot God. Now there's a cry out in hell. All of a sudden they believe in God. And all of a sudden they want that. And then another credential of hell is misery and pain. Misery and pain. Again, I refer you and revert you back to Luke 16, but also Revelation 14, verse 10 and 11. 
talking about the misery and the pain. I'm just hurrying on. You can go and read these verses afterwards. But then there's also another credential is frustration and anger. The frustration, Luke 13, 28 and Matthew 24, 51. Frustration and anger. And let it be known that if you find you're in a place like that, you will find you're in a place with pedophiles, with murderers, with all of these people who are wicked. It's not, it, it's not the people that you want to be with. And then finally, another credential of hell is the undiluted wrath of God is upon those people. It's undiluted wrath of God. It's been released upon them. You see, why do I say that lastly? Is because when we see Jesus hanging on the cross, we saw the undiluted wrath of God against his son. Why is for the sins that he bore in his body on the cross for you and for me? He took the cup in the garden and he said, Father, this cup of wrath, he drank that cup on your behalf. The wrath came upon him on the cross. If you do not go through Jesus Christ, you will have to drink that cup of wrath of God on your own. And you will drink it. You'll have an eternity to drink it in a place which is real and which is forever. The wrath of God, that's the credentials. Let me finish. Verse 49, he says, For everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Now, some people say that this fire here, they've got a, a belief around this fire is, is pointing towards hell. I want to believe that this fire is talking about the Holy Spirit because it says that you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. Fire is a refiner. If you turn the heat on with something with fire, it burns all of the dross, all of the, uh, the, the bad things comes to the top and you scoop them off. This, this is the picture in the mind of fire is if you've got silver or gold and you intensely put the fire to that, it becomes liquid and the pure gold will be underneath and all of the, all of the bad things at the top and you scoop them off and you got the pure. This is what fire does in your and my life. And it's only the Holy Spirit fire that will bring that to you. But it also says that when we die, we will look into the fiery eyes of Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful message, which I've preached once, which is uh, so powerful. He says, uh, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. This refers back to the Old Testament. When they brought the sacrifices to God, they salted the sacrifices. And this is the same uh, a reflection here. Verse 50, salt is good, but if salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? You can't. Because salt is the seasoning. So if salt loses its flavor, you can't actually, somebody once said to me, but you can just throw other salt in between the unseasoned salt and it, no, no. It, they still stay unseasoned. So you can't. That's the answer here. He, let me read it again. He says, how will you season it? If salt loses its flavor, you can't put salt with flavor amongst them. It will only dilute the flavor, but those grains who do not have flavor will not have flavor all of a sudden. No, no, it's not. Have salt in yourselves, have flavor in yourselves, and have peace with one another. I pray the Lord that you spoke to you today and through his word. I know I spoke fast. There's so much. Um... And the benefit you've got is you can pause, rewind, listen again. And uh, and uh, I pray that the Holy Spirit will help you and reflect upon your heart about this serious message. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. It is a serious warning to us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you speak with every heart in every moment. Search your hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.